1: And we make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. I want to welcome you again to Leading from the Front. Today, I've got a good friend who I've worked with for several years and has a lot of business experience in corporate America and in his own business that he is going to be on our show today to share with us. Coming out of college and starting with one of those little companies that we call Hewlett-Packard, like so many of us coming out of school, started with large corporations and then worked our way up to the smaller companies as we gained confidence, gained knowledge, and learned a little more about our own skills and our leadership and management capabilities. I'd like to introduce you today to Mr. Bill Spreitzer. How you doing, Bill?
2: Doing well, thanks for having me, Gary.
1: Oh, of course. Uh, Bill, you and I have worked for uh, several years together, and I know you've prepared a lot of notes, uh, but before you get to those notes on some of the questions that I'd like to ask you, I, I'd like to give give a little background on your career. And I remember you talking about somebody who was a mentor to you coming right out of school and what that meant to you. And uh, share with our audience a little bit about that.
2: Sure. I started my career, like you mentioned with Hewlett Packard. I got my uh, four-year degree, business degree at Michigan State University. That's go green, right? That's go green, go white, that's right. Go
1: green, go white.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and um, I got my degree in global supply chain. Back then it was called materials and logistics management. And the reason I chose that career is because there were a lot of blue chip companies recruiting graduates from this, this program called Materials and Logistics. It was probably number one or number two in the country at that time. And so to get the Hewlett Packard job was the plum. That was the number one employer coming to campus at the time. And John Shogren um, interviewed me on campus and we took a liking to each other right out of the chute. And he was the one that hired me and became my first manager and like you mentioned, mentor and coach. And the thing that attracted me to John was that he really took a liking to who I was as a a young man. And he saw a lot of promise in me and a lot of potential. And I really needed that out of a a leader, out of a, I wouldn't say a father figure, but an authority figure, male especially. And he cared deeply about me and my future bride at the time and treated us very, very well. And he welcomed me into his family, his department, which was about 35 people in the procurement department. And from day one, he just kept encouraging me. He let me learn through trial and error at times, and he let me skin my knee, but was there to support me. He he assigned a, a very bright, one of his bright supervisors. Uh, it was a female, by the way, which was also a stroke of genius on his part, because it taught me that Women, powerful women, can make a huge difference in organizations. And so, right out of the chute, I got that perspective on uh, female leaders. And I just he just really knew how to celebrate successes and instill trust and confidence in me. And there were times when he had to take me aside and gave me some direct talk, which wasn't well received at the time. I felt bruised, but it, it served me well as I went forward and a funny kind of twist to the story after working for him for about two and a half years. He said, you know, Bill, uh, I need to, I need to put you out to the West coast. I know that you want to grow your career. I know you want cross-functional experience and, uh, my boss is liking you too much and I like my job too much. So I need, I need to get you out of here, but he did it with love and concern and, uh, it was, a, it was a good move, a painful move to go out to California with my young bride, but uh, we did it, and it led to a lot of new opportunities.
1: Well, let's go back for a second on some of those things that uh, the word I like to use in business that made you bristle. You know, you get a little feedback, and, you know, as young, young people, we think we know it all, or we know a lot of it. Um, do you remember any specific thing that kind of, got you, Got went in your craw, and you resisted in the beginning, but it, with time, you realized that he really had your best interest in mind. Do you remember anything about that?
2: Oh, vividly. Uh, it was actually, the one thing about John is that he loved to celebrate successes, not only individually, but as a team. He he created this almost family environment. I mean, it couldn't have been a, a smoother, more gentle uh, transition from college life to professional life but we were at a, uh, a team building event in the evening and libations had been drank and he pulled me aside and he goes, Hey, you need to pull back a little bit. You're coming on too strong and you're alienating people. Now that was a big blow because all I had was successes leading up to that. And i would never had any of that fierce conversation or feedback before. So as a young man of 22, 23 years old, I didn't know how to take that. And it really frustrated me. And that following Monday, I think that was on a Friday or Saturday night, I went to him and say, hey, you know, I didn't appreciate how you approached it and when you did. And he goes, you know, Bill, I really don't care because you need to hear that. You are a very powerful young man that has a lot of ideas. It's but how you go about getting those ideas across and creating energy and followership, which is going to define you. So you need to think about who you're speaking to and how you're speaking to them. And once we had that conversation and he provided more context, it made a huge difference for my leadership going forward.
1: So I'm going to guess that, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, having that first conversation, you were in a situation in college where you didn't have to worry about what you said or how you said it. Like so many of us, you're with your friends, you're hanging out, you say something stupid, everybody laughs at you, it's no big deal. Good. But when you're, when you're with business people, we need to recognize that everything we say, everything we do, right from the beginning counts. And um, I, can, I can see in the work that you and I have done with your sense of humor, where uh, I've had the same problem with my sarcasm at times, and I've in, in my coaching, and I'm sure you have, is sometimes we're just trying to have fun, we're trying to make a joke, and in the wrong setting. That's just not effective.
2: No. And I think what I learned also now looking back on that uh, and preparing my comments is a, one big lesson for me there. It was an early one on was I, I was really about me. It was about my ego. It was about being right, looking good. And what I found in that moment is that don't make it about you. Focus out, be about others, helping develop and grow, doing the right thing not being right. And so that was a huge lesson that I kept learning uh, as I went through my young leadership career.
1: Yeah, I guess that you're you're starting to get into one of the first questions that uh, we had talked about, which is what is it? What advice do you have to offer those that are trying to develop their leadership capabilities? And uh, first of all, the first thing you talked about is just awareness in the moment, right? What do you say and how you say it? So one of the things you said was about being right. And I can remember years ago reading a book by Warren Bennis, one of the great mm. a- authors of leadership. And he said, mm. managers do things right and leaders do the right things. That's right. And kind of down that same path is I think that in school, we're taught to do things right. That's what's important is you, you do things right. You get an A. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the only, uh, doing the right thing is don't plagiarize, don't cheat, you know? So you're like, okay, I got that. But for the most part, that's, that was about it. As we get into business, it's a lot more complicated than that. Isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. And and again, I think that lesson was about, uh, like you coined your series leading from the front. I, I was really about leading me and mm-hmm. Uh, I would always have the answer because in college and whatnot, it was about when you were asked a question, be the most intelligent guy in the room and answer it. And I think when I moved into my coaching profession, my encore career, that was one of the toughest things I had to learn in becoming a coach is when my clients would ask me, well, what would you do? Guess what my inclination was? I would tell them what I would do. And so, breaking myself of that, even in a leadership capacity, was a and has been a lifelong journey, to be honest. Yeah,
1: when I think back on my early days of leadership, uh, learning how to coach would have been a great thing to learn. <laughs> uh, as we say, learning to ask questions rather than answering questions.
2: Yes, yes. Um,
1: so, when you made that transition from business uh, or maybe a long business and you started to learn, through osmosis, let's say, how to coach more, how to ask questions. Your career went from Hewlett Packard to other companies, I think, right?
2: Yeah, several companies. I always was in the high-tech electronics, high-tech manufacturing world. Uh, probably the first half of my career was in that supply chain, materials and logistics, procurement, inventory control, those kind of things. And then the second half was more uh, customer-facing roles. So, uh, international business development global account management sales marketing roles so tell me the toughest
1: direct report you ever had that you had to figure out a way to work with this person that was just a different personality cuz you you got along so well with the guy that recruited you he he recruited you he he you you knew he cared about you have you ever been in a situation either with a with a boss later on in life that you knew he just wasn't the same. He didn't care. He didn't seem to care about you at all, or a direct report that seemed to not care. And,
2: and how did, how do you handle these situations? Anything come to mind? Yeah. A couple, a couple pop in, and it's more about people that I reported to my, my superior or my leaders or managers. I know one, no names, please. I just want to make sure <laughs> We're not going to call people out. (laughs) No, when I moved out to California, that first big move in my career, uh, and um, I reported to a guy I wasn't supposed to, but due to various reasons, I ended up reporting to him. And he, he was a man that didn't really want to have me as a direct report because his director, his manager had to go on a leave of absence. So I was kind of like, oh, God, now I've got to manage one more guy. And I was brand new to this function. And all he wanted me to do was make decisions and choices, take risks and move forward. And I was in a brand new function that I knew nothing about. And I needed direction. I needed coaching. I needed support. That which I had received in spades from John in Colorado, the gentleman who recruited me. And this was like the direct opposite. And it really caused me some uh, back backpedaling in my confidence in my, my career. And uh, it opened other doors downstream. But that was a very, very difficult uh, relationship to, to manage.
1: And how did you overcome it?
2: <laughs> well, not real well. Uh, I mean, I, I ended up having to take a leave of absence myself, uh, because I really uh, had a lot of anxiety and even some depression. But through that, through that experience, humbling as it was, it really started to get me to think differently about myself and start leading from the inside out, um, even though I didn't use those terms back then. And then when I came back to Hewlett Packard, I was given an opportunity to move into human resources, uh, a move I never even thought about or contemplated in my career. And I, I did two years in management development training and um, employee relations for about a 5,000 person site in Cupertino. And it was there that I got the first glimpse of what I was really born to do in my in my life, in my career. Unfortunately, uh, after two years, I got out of that, and went back into materials and logistics and, and got into that sales work. And it wasn't until I left the corporate world that I got back in touch with what I'm passionate about today.
1: It's it's interesting how sometimes our lowest point mm. is the catalyst for creating an opportunity that determines the rest of your life. And even though it wasn't the rest of your life at that moment in time, you go back and think about that. You realize you had a couple of years to do some training and development and things that now you do full time. This is your business. This is your heart. This is your soul, what you do. And if you hadn't had that boss, if you hadn't made that move who knows if you'd ever even be where you are today.
2: Yeah. And you know, Gary, that the other thing that's coming to mind around that experience, and it's something that we really try to engender in these young and even experienced leaders, is this notion of compassionate accountability. And I want to tell you, Hewlett Packard um, was very compassionate to me. And even this leader probably was blind to a lot of the things that he was doing or not doing. And he even showed compassion to me and helped me get that job. Although I was still being held accountable to deliver for the business, the compassion was unbelievable. And I'll I'll remember it to, to this day, of course.
1: Well, I think that's a great message to give people that in the right opportunity, the right way, that balancing compassion and accountability is a very difficult thing to do. But great leadership requires both. It just requires both. And the work that we're doing together uh, to develop leaders today is uh, doing that very thing to give them the skills to be able to lead and to manage their personal lives and their business lives every single day. It's tough. And we found that most people are either highly accountable, the drill sergeant, as I call them, or the uh, highly compassionate, and thoughtful, and empathetic, or the nice guy or nice gal. And uh, what studies show is either one of those extremes doesn't work in the long run. So um, to go through those ups and downs uh, really allows you to dig deep into those understandings uh, to help others. That's really great. That's really great.
2: I want to just add one more example. You had mentioned some challenging people issues, people that report to me or I reported to. Another one is a, a person that I ended up reporting to, and he was my very, very last manager. And I had been working for this uh, technology company for about six years, and I had risen to a director level. And this is a Fortune 100 company, so you know I was feeling pretty good about my career at the time and making good money and all those things that we deem as success. And I, I shifted out of this uh, global director job for a, about, about a $2.5 billion global account of ours to going into carrying a bag being a a sales guy and the vp i reported to was a micromanager and he was getting down to how many calls did you make who are you meeting and whatnot i go dude that is not going to work i have worked hard to establish myself in this company Um, i'm willing to report to you and be accountable but can't be micromanaging me and he goes well that's my style and i go well That's not going to work. And I think six months later, I had left the company in in good graces, but I just, that micromanagement I found in myself didn't work. Yeah.
1: So the very first question of the Gallup 12 questions is, do people know what's expected of them at work? And when you have a highly clear, trusting company that has high accountability, they know what the numbers are and they can hold themselves accountable. They don't need somebody else looking over their shoulder where they need help is not in micro. I I define micromanagement is not getting clarity on what to do. That's necessary. Sure. It's telling you how to do it. That's unnecessary for a professional and professionals don't like to be told how to do their work. So, um, so let me, let me ask you another question. Uh, If you were to write yourself a letter today and send it back to yourself 20 or 30 years ago, I won't go any further back because I don't want people to know you're really old like me. <laughs> you're not that old. Uh, what, would, what would that letter say? What would you like to say to young Bill?
2: Well, I already alluded to it. Um, first of all, don't focus on being right. Rather, doing the right things. Mm. It's not approving how smart you are. Right? And, and so that's number one. And uh, making, making the focus outward versus on self. Uh, in that same vein, consider what's in it for those that you're leading. So if you ask somebody to take the hill, what's in it for them? Uh, Put some context around it for others so that you're sensitive to what motivates and inspires people uh, to take the hill, even maybe when they don't want to. So that would be something I would also um, write to myself. You mentioned it. Be clear on expectations. Uh, so often, if we don't get that right, um, the rest uh, goes downhill. So be very clear on what you expect of others.
1: How do you define, this is a topic that I've had some conversation with people about, because we use this phrase, I think, almost as a cliche, be clear about expectations.
2: Yeah, well, how do we do that? Well, I I think it it goes to uh, lots of facets of that. It's not just a simple uh, catchphrase. It, it has to do with what are their responsibilities? How will you hold them accountable? So how start they- like with a job description and make sure they know yes. what,
1: what they're responsible for?
2: Okay. With their span of control is how will they be measured? Um, how will they know if they're successful? How will they know if they're falling short? Um, we also use the notion of KPIs, you know, those key performance indicators, measurements that let them know if they're on track or not. Uh, so that is is key. And then, of course, part and parcel of that is giving timely feedback. And that's constructive as well as uh, positive feedback and letting people know how they're doing along the way. So clear expectations and feedback go hand in hand. Yeah, it's all those
1: steps, right? It's a process. That's right. It is definitely a process. Uh, and, and why? From an expectation standpoint, as I expand on that with people to really know what the company mission and values are so that people know where, what their direction is and how they're supposed to behave. Without that, they go into business for themselves. And there are still companies out there that don't have mission and values stated and, and, and living by that. They have an informal culture and they have a culture, whether, it, whether it's led or it's just left. To happen by happenstance, uh, they have a culture. So, well, Bill, if there's anything else that you want to share with people that might be listening to this podcast about leadership? I just want to say that for those listeners that might be in the Charlotte area, that uh, my good friend Bill Spritzer, you can contact him through my website. Or you have a website, Bill? You have a phone number you want to give to people? I mean, we need people to start using your skills, man. You're you're helping companies. You've been helping me for the last five years, and I think that we need to get you out there more.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, my, my Staterius uh, email information is at com. I have uh, also my own practice at Accelerate Solutions. But I think first and foremost, uh, you can get connected to me on LinkedIn as well as uh, through the Staterius uh, website. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have a complicated, uh, it's bill. It's the email. I I've got all email. my, uh, my, well, they call them plank owners in the Navy. See, so a plank owner is one of the first, it's the first crew that takes care of the ship. And my dad, the USS Hungley, which was commissioned in 1961 or 62, he was in the Navy. He was a plank owner and that's uh, the first each one of the first crew gets a a piece of wood wow. with a plaque on it and their name that says that they were the first ones to be on that ship and uh, so you're kind of a plank owner of uh, Staterius so I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your time and talking with us today. It's very much appreciated, and I'm sure that our listeners learned a thing or two. And with that, it happens to be. Just another great day in the leadership world with uh, all of my statarians. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this is Leading from the Front. Thank you.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.